right now on VFN TV. What truly is the power of the presidency? This, this electoral college, we're going to get an understanding of what this electoral college is all about and how voting is not just our right, but it's our responsibility right now on VFN TV. Welcome to VFN TV and the daily VFN radio program where we're keeping the conversation light. That's L-I-G-H-T, light. Here's what the Holy Spirit said. He said, I have many ministers and they are speaking on my behalf. But he said, what's missing is the urgency of the voice. These megachurches are really cognizant not to offend people. And they're really careful when they get up and preach to people that everybody leaves out there feeling really good. Preachers refuse to preach on the coming of Jesus Christ. Where's the urgency? I have never seen America in the place where we are right now. If you think that all the persecution is going to remain in Iraq against the Christians. You better think again. It's already coming into this country right now. If we don't tell people what they need to hear, God's going to hold us accountable and their blood will be on our hands. Whenever we preach, we've got to preach with an urgency in our voice that we need to be right with God if anything should happen to us. There's things right now in motion that may change our nation almost overnight. And for me to stand here and act like everything's all right, I can't do that. The politicians in Washington may can do that and lead you to believe that everything's going to be okay. But in the house of God, there's got to arise a siren that says, blast, 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 attention, attention, attention. Things are changing and they're changing quickly. We've got to have preachers in the pulpit that will say, watch out, warning, warning, red light, warning. People know something's going on in the Middle East. They know something's going on in Iraq, in Iran, and Damascus. They know about Iran. And people that's not even scripturally literate are trying to answer these things, and they're missing in a million miles. And God's saying to the preachers, get up and tell them. It's time to talk about what God's doing. People are seeking the Lord. People are seeking Christ, and if they don't find him in the church, where are they going to find him? Got an invitation to come back, and the Lord laid on my heart, and that's when Mr. Tuart asked me about, did you have a dream? And I did. That's when he told me about the coming storm. And as I'm about to go into prayer, I just want to say the Lord laid on my heart. I said, I'm not going to share it unless somebody asked me to come. And where's uh, Commissioner Barry asked me to come, and I said, this is it. I was going to share it. That there's another level about to happen. Riots are coming. Riots in the streets are coming. And if we're not careful, uh, shortly after the next election, the anger will mount so much that we'll end up having martial law declared. Loss of life is taking place. If we stay on this road, it's not going to be pretty. It's not, I mean, it's not going to be just us morphing into some socialist, you know, uh, type of uh, country. It's going to be, I think, worse than what was experienced in Nazi Germany. And I was trying to understand, because I believe what happened there was a dress rehearsal for what the devil's trying to do in the whole world. I think 
the way the world is going, the way the U.S. is going, I think there's going to come a time, and it's probably going to be sooner than later, when what I do in a public forum is going to be labeled as a hate crime. Some disturbing news from Russia. President Vladimir Putin signed a law outlawing evangelism and cracking down on house churches. The laws forbid evangelism outside of churches and other religious sites. That means people can't even share their faith in their homes or even on the internet. Well, you don't think God could put a tyrant over America? You don't think God could put a tyrant that oppresses the church? What have we been doing? What have we been doing as a church? Our power doesn't come from some self-declared savior promising that he alone can restore order as long as we do things his way. We don't look to be ruled. God is just. You think this last seven years has been tough? This eight years have been tough? That's just Jehoiakim. Zedekiah is right on the, on the precipice of coming to pass in this nation. We're not going to make it through the times that are coming without being his disciples and more without growing up into our purpose. And that so happens that communism is a system that I disagree with philosophically. I would not prefer to live under a communist system. Uh, I happen to feel that the great moments of history have been those moments when individuals have been left free to think and, uh, and to act. Welcome to VFN TV. I'm Greg Lancaster, and joining me just a moment is Steve Kalaszewski. Before we get started, I want to give a big shout out to Jefferson City, Missouri. CTM, we are so excited about being a part of you. KNLJ, we're looking forward to our hopefully long term relationship and informing you of today's events. Today, we're going to be talking about the power of the presidency. How much power does a president really have? when they get in office. Let's take a look. The President of the United States is often described as the most powerful person in the world. The person who occupies the Oval Office represents a population of more than 320 million people and oversees the world's largest economy. As Commander-in-Chief, the President commands all five branches of the U.S. Armed Forces and a military budget that tops $580 billion annually. The president decides where troops are stationed, where ships are sent, and how weapons will be used. 886 generals and admirals take their orders from the president, along with some 1.4 million active frontline military personnel and 1.1 million active reserves. The president is the only person who can access the secret codes necessary to launch a nuclear attack and is effectively responsible for more than 4,500 active and inactive nuclear warheads in the U.S. arsenal. The U.S. gives nearly $50 billion in foreign aid to more than 180 countries around the world. That's the president's job as well. 
The U.S. has collective defense agreements with 54 nations and legally conducts surveillance in 193 countries. The president has the power to veto laws passed by Congress and can pardon anyone of any federal crime, except impeachment. The president can designate land for national monuments and parks and appoints cabinet members, diplomats, and federal judges all the way up to the Supreme Court. You might think the president's job is the most important job in the world, but it's not. The most important job is deciding who holds all that power. The most important job is yours. Make history. Vote. That's so, so very important to understand the power behind the presidency that we decided as a country to be able to, to give them and understanding too that you know, it's your vote that puts them there. I want to make sure that you participate in the voting process. And one way that we do that in America is through the Electoral College. We don't have a popular vote per se. We have an Electoral College, and that's to keep tyrants and, and populists to be able to come over and take over our country. They don't do it because of the Electoral College. What does that really mean? Well, let's take a look right now. I want to talk to you about the Electoral College and why it matters. All right, I know this doesn't sound like the most sensational topic of the day, but stay with me because I promise you it's one of the most important. To explain why requires a very brief civics review. The President and Vice President of the United States are not chosen by a nationwide popular vote of the American people. Rather, they are chosen by 538 electors. This process is spelled out in the United States Constitution. Why didn't the founders just make it easy? and let the presidential candidate with the most votes claim victory? Why did they create, and why do we continue to need this electoral college? The answer is critical to understanding not only the electoral college, but also America. The founders had no intention of creating a pure majority rule democracy. They knew from careful study of history what most have forgotten today or never learned. Pure democracies do not work. They implode. Democracy has been colorfully described as two wolves and a lamb voting on what's for dinner. In a pure democracy, bare majorities can easily tyrannize the rest of a country. The founders wanted to avoid this at all costs. This is why we have three branches of government, executive, legislative, and judicial. It's why each state has two senators, no matter what its population, but also different numbers of representatives based entirely on population. It's why it takes a supermajority in Congress and three quarters of the states to change the Constitution. And it's why we have the Electoral College. Here's how the Electoral College works. The presidential election happens in two phases. The first phase is purely democratic. We hold 51 popular elections every presidential election year, one in each state and one in DC. On election day in 2012, you may have thought you were voting for Barack Obama or Mitt Romney, but you were really voting for a slate of presidential electors. In Rhode Island, for example, if you voted for Barack Obama, you voted for the state's four Democratic electors. If you voted for Mitt Romney, you were really voting for the state's four Republican electors. Part two of the election is held in December, and it is this December election among the state's 538 electors not the November election, which officially determines the identity of the next president. At least 270 votes are needed to win. Why is this so important? 
because the system encourages coalition building and national campaigning. In order to win, a candidate must have the support of many different types of voters from various parts of the country. Winning only the South or the Midwest is not good enough. You cannot win 270 electoral votes if only one part of the country is supporting you. But if winning were only about getting the most votes, a candidate might concentrate all of his efforts in the biggest cities or the biggest states. Why would that candidate care about what people in West Virginia or Iowa or Montana think? But you might ask, isn't the election really only about the so-called swing states? Actually, no. If nothing else, safe and swing states are constantly changing. California voted safely Republican as recently as 1988. Texas used to vote Democrat. Neither New Hampshire nor Virginia used to be swing states. Most people think that George W. Bush won the 2000 election because of Florida. Well, sort of, but he really won the election because he managed to flip one state which the Democrats thought was safe, West Virginia. Its four electoral votes turned out to be decisive. No political party can ignore any state for too long without suffering the consequences. Every state, and therefore every voter in every state, is important. The Electoral College also makes it harder to steal elections. Votes must be stolen in the right state in order to change the outcome of the Electoral College. With so many swing states, this is hard to predict and hard to do. But without the Electoral College, any vote stolen in any precinct in the country could affect the national outcome, even if that vote was easily stolen in the bluest California precinct or the reddest Texas one. The Electoral College is an ingenious method of selecting a president for a great, diverse republic such as our own. It protects against the tyranny of the majority, encourages coalition building, and discourages voter fraud. Our founders were proud of it. We can be too. I'm Tara Ross for Prager University. This is so important, you know, the Word of God lets us know that God's people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. We really have to get involved as civil Christians in a civil land, and that's why we have civil Christianity. I mean, you can find it at civilchristianity.org, but we have to get involved in the process. If all Christians got involved and moved in the biblical worldview in regards to how we voted and how we uh, responded to uh, culture and society, it would go God's way. It would go the way that God would want the nation to be able to go. And we believe that's going to really happen. And civilchristianity.org is there to be able to help and encourage you. But to understand the power of the presidency, it's worth studying who you're going to vote for, finding out more about them, going to vfntv.com forward slash vote to find out the, um, the questionnaires that they've been given and the uh, many, many, many value voters questionnaires and interviews that we have there for you so you can just learn about the particular candidates. Well, it's just, it's exciting, it's powerful. We're on the edge of, of, of something powerful happening in our country. When we get back from this break, we're gonna talk about, you know, we talk about voting as a right, but really voting is our responsibility in a republic form of government. Join us after the break. VFNTV, where we're keeping the conversation light. Follow us online at VFNTV.com. We'll be right back. I want to thank you so much for joining us here on VFNTV and the Data Radio Program. Every single day, we are on the air talking to the world 
and encouraging you by bringing the light, keeping the conversation light. And we also talk to you in many different ways as well. One way is at the VFN Torch. If you go to vfntv.com and click on the torch, our program that we have for years now with all these pertinent topics of the day plus things that you need to know is right there for you where you can go back and, and educate yourself on a particular matter. You can share things with a friend. You can listen to us and, and in addition in SoundCloud as well. You can share things audibly with other, other listeners out there and other viewers and friends. There's just so much available to you at vfntv.com. In addition, think about this. It's, we come to you in the air, broadcasting in the air, in your pocket, which is on mobile devices, and online. We're all over the world, and we want to be able to bring encouragement to you. And we do that one way with our app. You can go to uh, your app, Apple App Store. You can go to Google Play Store and, or your Windows Store and, and get your app and download it. The, the app is called VFNTV. Of course, you go to VFNTV.com. We have our little uh, area there. You can pick which app you want to be able to download. It's just so exciting to know that no matter where you are, we want to be able to encourage you. I don't know if you knew about this, but also you can sign up for our Torch newsletter. We have a gift for you for doing that. You just go to vfntv.com in the upper right-hand corner and fill out that little information and immediately a free gift will come to you. One of them is prudent preparation. Hopefully it's going to come to you and teach you how to probably prepare for the day, uh, what's happening in our culture today and how to think outside the box. And this is something we want to be able to give to you, plus some other gifts as well. And I also want to make sure that you have a chance to be able to become a VFN TV partner. We have a whole partners area just to say thank you. It's a it's special area, special events, green room, things we have available just to give our partners, just to be able to say thank you. Imagine anytime you can log into the partners area. Why? Because you partnered for any dollar figure at all to be able to, to, to just say thank you. Things you can share with your friends as well. Also, we have VFN Kingdom Business Partners, a whole nother area to be able to focus on the seven spheres of culture. Just very encouraging. And finally, I want to encourage you, maybe your business, maybe you want to become a business sponsor. Um, those are the ones that are standing with us, that want to keep the conversation light, that want to impact their community, but also want to be able to share their business, their service, what they provide for their community. You can do that by going to vfntv.com. Thank you so much, and thanks for watching. Welcome back. Welcome back. Steve, that's so powerful, isn't it? When you think about how much power the presidency Absolutely. has and people are going like, I'm not going to vote. I'm like, you're not going to vote. I mean, somebody's going to get in that place. It's important yeah. to vote. And you think about this too, that, you know, everybody needs to vote mm -hmm. because it's an electoral college that will determine in the outcome of how the election is going to come. And, you know, it's not just our right. It's really our responsibility where the Lord looks at us and says, I mean, you look at the history in, in regards to kings. You know, God says it's the king's responsibility. It's the king's mm -hmm. responsibility for how that country's going. Mm -hmm. But in America, the people are the king because it, it is. You're the king. Yeah, it's a government by the people and for the people. So ever how the country goes, you're held accountable for that. Mm -hmm. But if you vote and with 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 you know biblical values, biblical, biblical values, and the fear of the Lord, yeah. then for you that's your seed of faith, as mm -hmm. we talked about earlier. But let's go right now. This is an, an awesome, awesome continued series with Faith for the Nation. And really just the church is waking up. Yes. And to regards to how we have to be civil Christians in a civil land and participate, that your vote is not just your right, it's your responsibility. That's how it works. Let's take a look now. I decided a long time ago that I have to 
preach the word regardless of what the consequences were to be. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not going to tell you it ain't going to be consequences if you stand up. You may lose some people in church, okay? Mm -hmm. But you will gain the anointing of God. That's right. And you'll, That's you'll, part you of will it. gain That's right. uh, God's supernatural. That's right. Whatever it is that you will need. You will he get will the benefits. You will supply the need. So, uh, and whatever you compromise to keep, you're going to eventually lose. That's right. Eventually. Your congregation That's is right. going down right now because <laughs> of that. That's right. And it, and it may come, it may be on the rise, but the moment you make that conscious decision, it's going down. See, and that's the thing that we found in the polling was, and George Barn and I did a book on this called U-Turn, and what we found was that when we asked these conservative Bible-believing pastors, how do you know if your church is successful? The top five answers were the number of people in the pews, the size of the offering, the square footage we have, the number of staff we have, and the number of programs we offer. Wow. Jesus didn't have any of that. All wrong. Jesus in yeah. John 6 yeah. turns to the disciples and said, yeah. everybody else is gone. You guys are going to leave. Well, yeah. you've got the bread of life. We'll hang around. I mean, Jesus all the time was working discipleship, not on numbers. And these are superficial things. And if you obey John, what is it, uh, Acts 5.32, he gives the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. If you'll obey, you get all sorts of blessings. You'll get the anointing. You'll get all that. Go ahead and chase off the people that are, that are hangers on anyway because you're after discipleship. You're not after hangers on out there. I mean, Jesus was all the time losing people. He offended them. He said, you know what? I really came here to divide mother from daughters and sons from the, I, I came to bring a, a, a division. And, well, I can't offend anybody. Well, then you can't follow Jesus. Jesus right. offended people all the time. My spiritual father, Kenneth E. Hagan, used to say this, I'd rather have the anointing for five minutes than the whole world with a fence around it. Mm -hmm. Yes, sir. <laughs> yes, sir. The anointing. Having he God's said anointing, what matters? The night, Saturday night, July the 30th, 1977. Forty years ago, last July the 30th, which was on a Saturday night, <laughs> is when he called me out and, and set his hands on me and separated me into the office of the prophet. I was there. And you remember what he, he said this to me. He said, now you're going to get some persecution over this mm -hmm. and some friends are going to draw back from you. But those fair weather friends are not worth it. That's right. Go on with God. It's better to stand in his presence and say, I've not been disobedient. That's right. Ooh. No, I left out something. He said, go on with God. Jesus is coming. It's better to say, I've not been disobedient. Mm -hmm. That's the whole mm. bottom line. That's right. That's the bottom line of what we're talking about yes, because... Is. Uh, America is where she is, good or bad, yes, sir. because of what happened in the pulpit. That's right. Yes, sir. America, say that, say America was the great country because of yeah. all yes, this. That's right. Okay, and you got the leadership because of all this. Okay, and, and what you have, again, it goes back to seed, time, and harvest. The seed comes from the mm -hmm. minister. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, men, to the nation. there are people that I know personally Sweet, darling, born again, Holy Ghost, baptized, tongue-talking, healing, believing. Sweet people. That actually think the Democratic Party is more 
like the body of Christ in the way that it is constructed because it helps the poor and everything had, everybody had everything in common. I'm going to jump in right there on a couple things. But the people are not preaching the difference, they're, David. They're not That's preaching the, point. the difference. But the other thing, and I've got to hit, this is where biblical stuff comes in because the government's taking care of, Democrats take care there's 200 verses in the Bible that tell us to take care of the poor. Nobody's going to dispute that's a really big deal. Now, we're going to go back there on the back. We're going to hang a piece of paper. I'm going to draw three columns on it. We're going to go through those 200 verses, and we're going to see, is this verse directed at the individual and the family, or is it directed at the church, or is it directed at the government? When we get down to those 200 verses, there's three verses in the government category. All the government's told to do with the poor is, if they come into court, make sure they get justice. It's told, don't treat the poor different. Yes, the, only thing the, the only thing the governments do with the poor is to take care of civil process. Everything on meeting their material needs goes to the church and to the yes. individuals. Yes. Jesus said, Matthew yes. 25, 40, well, if you've done it, I, I was hungry and you clothed me. I, I was hungry and you fed me. I was naked and you clothed me. And they said, when did it, if you did it, well, he said that to his disciples. He didn't say that to Herod. He didn't say that to Pilate. He said that to his disciples. Then you get into Isaiah 58, and God says, is this not the fast I have chosen, says the Lord? Is it not to teach you to deal your bread to the hungry? Everything's about the end of it. So when they say, oh, the Democrat Party, the government takes care of the poor, no. The Bible says that God's people take care of the poor. Government's not supposed to be in the social programs. And I can take you all the way back in Deuteronomy, where in Deuteronomy, he says, all right, guys, when you harvest your fields, you round off the corners. And when you pick your vines, you don't go over a second time. Whatever hits the ground, you leave mm -hmm. it for the poor. Well, that means the poor have to go in and harvest. The poor have to pick it up. The poor have to work to get what they're getting. God provided for the poor, but they had to do something to get it. You know, and that that is one of the things it's that shows how unbiblical we are. Yes, absolutely. And we're saying, wait a minute, we're asking, we're saying the Democrat Party's right because it's violating what the Bible says? For a Christian to say that, man, go back to God's Word. Then That's that, just unbelievable. Then in the book of Acts, where it's talking about they had all things in common. Well, that was from, they were, had, they were prospering not because they took it from other people and divided it all up even. It's because they were sowing and God was prospering. And the government the wasn't involved in anyway. No if we want to make a compact among us to share our stuff, we want, go for it. But the government did not step in and make it coercive. The government was not involved in that process. Neither did stuff. the apostles. Neither did the apostles. They That's told right. Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira, wasn't it yours? It's you could have done with it That's what right. you wanted to do with it. That's right. Nothing coercive that in it is at all. So but it's not being preached. It's not being preached. And, and, you know, I'll, I'll go back to something else that in the founding era, you had what were called parishes. Now, some denominations still have parishes. In parishes, you had what were called vestrymen. Mm -hmm. And vestrymen, all right, you go back to the Bible. God told the priests, whenever there's poor among you, you, the priest, go into their home and see what kind of need they have and for how long. Because you always assumed the need was temporary. And the priest goes in and says, yeah, you're having a hard time. I think we can help you for two months here. We'll give you 60% for two. And that's, what, that's why every, every three years you paid an additional tithe. It was to take care of the poor through the yeah, church, through yeah, the temple. Yeah. So in the founding era, the founding fathers were vestrymen. George Washington was a vestryman. He visited all the poor in his community, came back to the church, said they need help for this long and this much and this amount. All over America, we had it divided into vestries. And your, your Christian deacons were the guys who went out and visited and came back with a report for the church on how much they needed for how long. It was never the government that did that. Never. 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 Ever. ever, ever, ever. Is ever. this the reason why initially, though, that the United States government gave tax exemption to churches? 
Well, they gave tax exemption churches, one, because they weren't supposed to control them. And, and you go to Ezra 7.24, and Ezra 7.24 says you do not tax the temple or the temple priest or anything else. So it was a biblical precedent that you didn't put that tax on it, but you didn't want to control. But it was also the thing that the church contributed so much the through the social programs. I'm right. social, and I'm, I'm just going to jump on another one while I'm right here, because first, in First Timothy 5.4, it says that children are to requit their parents. Requit means to repay. And it's in the context of social programs. And it's in the context of taking care of them when they get old. They took care of us for 18 years. They changed our messy diapers. They fed us. It's like, all right, children, now you owe your parents those 18 years they gave you. At the end of their life, you're gonna have to, they're going to be a burden on you just like you were on them. It's going to mess up your life. Don't, don't stick them in a rest home somewhere. Don't put them in assisted living home. You repay your parents. Social programs are all within the church and the family. And we're, we're avoiding 1 Timothy 5 like crazy now. Man, it's going to mess up my soccer schedule with the kids if I have to take care of my parents. I'll put them in a rest home. So, no, the Bible says repay what they did and for all those years. So the whole concept of social problems needs to be, and that's why, again, in this thing, that was so high. What was that, issue number four that people wanted to hear? Yeah. Is the government role, my role, the in church Deuteronomy, role? Deuteronomy 15.4, talking about the blessing of the Lord. And the King James says, save when there shall be no poor among you. In yeah. the New Living, it said, there should be no poor among you because of the blessing of the Lord. And those that are poor, you only had seven years there. That's right. And at the end That's of right. that seven-year period, you made, you made adjustments, but at the end of the Jubilee year, which we're in a Jubilee year right now. But at the end of that time, everybody's debts were canceled and Jesus preached that, the acceptable year of the Lord. So people were not, God didn't make poor people. The devil and the curse makes poor people. And there was certainly not a permanent class of poor people. No, and that, no. And the whole deal is you don't work, you don't eat. That's right. And that's what the scripture says. That's right. But when when people get in and they got a better idea and all of that, you're going to get in, you're going to get in trouble. But the whole bottom line here is what what I want the pastors to hear yes. and what I want the people to hear to yes. put the B on your pastor about it. That's right. Is you better preach these things from the pulpit because you don't. You're going to have to answer to God, and if you do, your congregation will prosper. And all this comes back to the vote. That's right. Uh, yep. And the platform Which system is yep. going yep. to be closest yep. to God's yep. way. Yep. Uh, you determine that, yep. okay, and then that's you make a decision to support whichever is closest to God's way. Right. This is so important, understanding and rethinking church, how the context of how we operate as family in the church. I mean, mm -hmm. if it becomes an institution, it doesn't make sense. That's why the government can so easily slide in in people's mindset and say, it's just another institution. Yeah. But the church is not an institution. It's, a, it's, it's not an organization. It's an organism. And we give to those we have connection to and relationship to and that type of thing. And that's one thing that they did. They ate together. They stayed together. They prayed together. And they lived their lives together. They gave to each other yeah. as they had need because they shared their lives with each other. They understood right. where each other were so mm -hmm. that they could be there for each other. That's how family was designed right. to be. Right, right. But it had nothing to do with the government. Exactly. At the, at exactly. the time, had to do, just, there's the, the body of Christ in the church. Listen, 
we got this break coming up. We're going to continue this talk. And if you notice, we've been focusing since the elections mm -hmm. are right here on it. And we're going to get back to our regular programming at that. But it's so important to understand, uh, you know, where we are and what our responsibility is as a Christian. And have a biblical perspective. And have a biblical Huge. perspective. Civil Christian in a civil land. C civilchristianity.org. Mm -hmm. You can find out more yes. about that. But first, we have this offer for you. Did you know it's our partners that help us stay on the air? That's right, for your partnership for any amount, we have a special offer for you. Today's special offer is Offer 2016. It's about the second coming of our Lord, the secret power of lawlessness, and the man of lawlessness being held back to that proper time. Yep, there's nothing more exciting than to share about the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, yet it will come on the hills of the great lawlessness taking place on the earth and the man of lawlessness being loosed upon the face of the earth. In this message, you'll discover how, how so many of the signs are being quickly fulfilled that say the season of our Lord's coming is near, while being reminded that not even Jesus knows that time, only the Father knows that time. And you'll also finally understand the urgency of now, how important it is to be about the Father's business and letting everyone know about the love of God that so they could spend an eternity with Him. That's right, it's offer 2016. The title of this particular gift for you is The Second Coming of Our Lord, the secret power of lawlessness and the man of lawlessness being held back until the proper time. You can partner by going to vfntv.com and click on partner now and follow the prompts or you can write to us at VFNTV 6500 North Pensacola Boulevard, Pensacola, Florida 32505 or you can even call. That's 844-408-3688 and that's offer 2016. Thank you for your partnership. Keeping the conversation light. Follow us online at vfntv.com. We'll be right back. That ballot is your seed. That is the seed, if you sow it in faith, that guarantees your household safety, prosperity, Amen. Is it okay for employees to keep religious items on their desk? This is Law and Justice with Jay Sekulow. Uh, my question is, my workplace was asked, asked me last night to take down a Christian calendar of mine, and they gave the answer that it's Home Depot property, I guess the wall, and wanted me to take it down. I just wondered if this is, is right. Well, Angie, it depends on the policies of the employer. For instance, some employers say you have to have, you'll allow certain types of things displayed in the workstations, and they're very limited and, and very suspect as to what those will be. Others are much broader. And some, in a situation when it's usually a religious sentiment, and it may even be, you know, a situation where they think that if you have up a calendar that has a Bible verses on it, they might think that they're somehow violating federal law. You have the right to have that material out there. The American Center for Law and Justice is committed to defending your religious and constitutional freedoms. To become more involved in protecting these freedoms, visit us at aclj.org. That's aclj.org. Hi, this is John Maxwell, and welcome to Minute with Maxwell. And Trudy Evans from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, who's a, she's a speaker and author, wanted me to talk for a moment about the word self-awareness. Um, I have a degree in counseling, and when I graduated from college for about three years, I did some counseling. Now, I wasn't any good at it, okay? I had the degree 
but I wasn't any good. I was, hey, was self-aware. I realized I wasn't an effective counselor. But if you ask me after counseling hundreds of people over hundreds of hours, what I basically discovered about people, what I would say to you is this is a fact. Most people are not truly aware of how they really are perceived by others. They lack a self-awareness that would allow them to see themselves as others see them. Now, what the takeaway from that is very simple to me. I don't think any of us are capable of good self-awareness, just to be honest with you. I think the only way that we can have it is by inviting other people into our life and asking them things about ourselves, asking them to honestly speak into our lives. Uh, that's why we need to be accountable to others. That's why we need to have people that are our friends that really care for us unconditionally and will tell us what we need to hear, not what we want to hear. And the more that we invite others into our lives and they give us their perspective of who we are, the more we begin to see ourselves as we really are. And I think self-awareness is essential to a leader because if you do not understand yourself, how can you and I understand others? Welcome back to VFN TV with your host, Greg Lancaster. Welcome back. This is so, so very important. Of course, this is going to be uh, the, the last of these broadcasts mm -hmm. that we're having this way. And we're excited about, you know, covering the adventure that's ahead of us now that the elections are coming to a close. And uh, so many Christians came alive and began yeah. to get in educated and get involved. And, and it's an amazing, amazing time. And we look forward to talking about the outcome of today's election. Uh, but let's go right back to uh, understanding that, you know, voting is a responsibility, uh, not just a right that we mm -hmm. have with Kenneth Copeland, with Bishop. Yeah, um, uh, Bishop Keith and yeah, Bishop Keith, uh, Pastor Pearson. Yeah, B Bishop Keith Butler and Pearson mm -hmm. and Kenneth Copeland and David Barton. Let's go. I want to address something and then we need to pray about it. Going back to the vote, you just brought up that about the vote again. There, there are two words that you gave. Let me, let me quote you on this uh, from the Lord. Pray over the, or let me quote Abraham Lincoln first. The ballot, yeah, that'd be, that'd the, be ballot is <laughs> the ballot is mightier than the bullet, yeah. Abraham Lincoln. Uh, but the Lord said through you, pray over these elections. Pray and seek me and I'll reveal to you how to vote, how to vote. It's important that you vote, for you see, I gave you the privilege of living in a country where you have a say in your government. But if you will not obey me, if you will not listen to me, and if you do not vote, then you, you have not activated the seed of obedience that will cause me to be able to take care of you, whomever is elected. Mm -hmm. That's what we're talking about. Then the responsibility, I will say it, the Lord holds you responsible for voting for whom I tell you to vote. And you can't get out of it by not voting. I hold you responsible for voting for the wrong one if you do that. The thing that the Lord really put on my heart right now for us to deal with is, here we are, early voting is going on right now. The election, the election day is just a few days from now. There may be somebody out there, Kenneth, who did not register to vote and they're hearing this. Mm-hmm. And they're saying, oh God, I have made a major mistake in my life. 
So I just believe that we can bring them before the throne. How do you deal with that? How do you deal with forgiveness? Mm-hmm. Forgiveness Look, cleanses. Before you answer that one process, I mean, many, many states now have same-day voter registration. So really? If you didn't get okay. registered, if you didn't get registered, that's still no excuse. You show up and say, hey, I didn't get we got same-day voter right? registration in many states. Well, that's good to know. So that's part of the process. That's good to know. So if you think you didn't get registered in time, that's not, that's not the end of the story yet. You show up and say, I didn't get registered. Okay. I need to do same-day registration. Well, now, if you, if you go before the Only Lord, a few states yeah. don't allow that, but some yeah. don't. Let's, some of them don't even require that you even have to have proof. That's right. Who you are even to vote. <laughs> that's true. Uh, let's sign what's called a provisional ballot, yeah. and that provisional ballot is I didn't get registered, or I don't know if okay. I am, or whatever, and then they'll, you vote and they'll check it. And they can go online, they can find out where. Let's, uh, okay. before we close, let's deal with this yes. properly. Now remember, well, let me read this one more time. In James, chapter 4, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and now now you know it, Mm -hmm. and does it not, to him it's a sin. Mm -hmm. All right. In 1 John, chapter 1, verse 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one, one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin. Now the light has come about a lot of these things. Mm-hmm. So now that, now, that, now that you have the light and it's there, yeah. so now from now on you're going to be held responsible for it. Yes. But now look at this. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just or righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, I'm going to lead you in this prayer. And and listen to what you're praying. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus. You you fellas follow it. Father, in the name of Jesus. Father, in the name of Jesus. I have come into the light. I have come come into the light. That I should have voted that I should, I should have, voted. have voted. And it's in my heart now. And it's, it's in, in my, my heart, heart now that I'm responsible. That I'm, that responsible. I'm responsible. I repent of that sin. I repent of that sin. And in the name of Jesus, I by faith receive my forgiveness. And in the name, in the name of, of Jesus, Jesus, I by faith receive my forgiveness. I receive my cleansing. I receive my cleansing of all unrighteousness. Of all unrighteousness. And Father, and Father, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, before you, before you, I see that I should have voted this way. I see that I should have voted this way. Amen. Amen. Can you see it? Yeah. I should have voted this way. So now I've done it in my heart. I've, the Lord accounts me as I have voted. Imputed even though I didn't. Because I'm, I'm, I'm forgiven of it. I'm yeah. cleansed of it. And I made my decision even though I made it late. I, I made the decision and, and the Lord has forgiven me. So I don't care, I don't care who's elected. 
um, for the next four years, he's going to take care of me because I, I changed my heart. That's right. Amen. That's right. That's right. And I took that too as a pastor, the forgiveness for not, for not doing more of what we should be doing. There, there are words that you have spoken recently that are just echoing in my spirit. Jesus taught them many things. Yes. That's what a shepherd does. And I'm thinking to myself, mm -hmm. he taught them many things. He taught them many things. What do I need to do to change that? How do we, how do we as pastors and ministers bring this element into the life of our church? I mean, you as a pastor, being involved in the political realm, you're sensitive to it. You bring it into the life of your church. We're all questioning that same thing. And we receive the forgiveness for not doing our part. It, listening to you all talk, especially you, there are things that we as a church are responsible for that the government has no business doing. That's right. That's right. And don't forget this. Don't forget this. Faith cometh by hearing mm. and hearing by mm. the Word of God. Yeah. If you're not just preaching political issues and you're taking it to the Word of God, yeah. the people are hearing it and their faith is growing yes. and they're saying, boy, I tell you, my family never voted this way. And I don't know what I'm going to get from them, but I, that, I'm, they didn't save me. They didn't baptize me in the Holy Ghost, and they didn't heal me. So, hey, I'm, and, and from what I'm hearing, Pastor, glory, man, I'm going. Yeah. I got the faith for yeah. it now, yeah. and, and, and the fear is gone. And that Greek yeah. word for faith is pistis, which means trust, confidence, belief, mm -hmm. reliance, assurance, okay, belief. The only way that people are going to get all of that is that we have to preach it. You got to preach it. And what an influence we have. Think about it, and if I'm correct, George Bush was in church when he heard the sermon that his pastor preached that encouraged him to run for president. That's, you know I'd forgotten about that. And yeah. the, the influence that we have. We have influence, and I'm going to hit one other thing from a historical standpoint because I think it's a big fallacy the church has gotten into, and if we can get this one fixed, I think we can get back to this kind of stuff. The Great Commission is not an evangelism mandate, and the sinner's prayer did not exist till the 1920s with Billy Sunday. And so our belief that the Great Commission is to have people say the sinner's prayer, how did people get saved before 1920? How did they get saved for 1920 years? The Great Commission, Jesus didn't say make converts. He said make disciples of all men and teach them everything I've taught you. That's right. If I'm only yeah. getting, if, I, frankly, I'm a Christian, I don't need to get saved 52 Sundays a year. I, I'm a Christian. I need something to do on Monday when I get to McDonald's or Tuesday when I'm at Home Depot. Give me something that's real. And, and that's what this stuff used mm -hmm. to be. And if yeah. we'll go back to discipleship rather mm -hmm. than converts, and if you'll just, and by the way, I'll point out that in the First Great Awakening with George Whitfield, 80% of the nation physically heard him preach a sermon with their own ears. Now, back in that era when you're traveling by horses, you think of those 13 colonies and you well, go. Well, they killed him. He gave his life for it. it he he preached himself His to last death. three years, he would preach, go spit up a bunch of blood, fold up his pulpit, put on his horse, ride to the next town, preach, go spit up a bunch of blood. It killed him. He didn't know he was in a revival, but he was faithful to what he, and he discipled people. And when you do that, you will turn things. So if we can get that, that concept of discipleship down, that I'm supposed to be teaching everything he, Jesus, 
in, in Luke 19 has an entire teaching on no-fault divorce and the definition of marriage. Jesus in John 8 has a whole teaching on civil process and what happens when you're in court. Jesus over in Luke 19 has a whole teaching on economics and in Matthew 20 it's on the minimum wage and Jesus taught it. Why aren't we teaching it? So if we'll get that if we'll get that great commission out of just conversion and back into discipleship, man, we'll we'll get back to this kind of stuff. Yep. Gentlemen, thank you. My goodness, David. <laughs> I tell you what. I I don't ever get into one of these sessions and that that and I, I know, and I know George feels the same way. That I'm just I'm just amazed at, at what God can say in just a couple of hours. I mean, but but you can't get there unless you've inquired of the Lord. Yeah. You can't get there without study. You can't get you can't just pick up some morning and grab a few things and go preach against abortion or something. You got to spend some you time really do. and inquire of God and, and lay on your face in your study until your spirit man begins to rise up on the inside of you and a hot, fiery, burning message comes boiling up out of there. That's when you get results. And in times like this, Praise God. That so makes me think about this, this officer, this police officer in Louisiana, that he, you know, has an awesome testimony, and mm -hmm. he went from lost to a well-paying job mm -hmm. to, to finding God, to serving the, the Lord in regards to being a law enforcement officer, and now he moved from that to Congress. It's a powerful, or he's running for mm -hmm. Congress, I believe. Let's go there right now. It's, a power, it's like America's Crime Stoppers and, and watching this whole thing walk out. You know, what do you do on Monday? Well, you get involved in the process. Right. Let's go to Louisiana. They call him the Cajun John Wayne. If you're the man that committed this felony, look at me, son. I'm talking to you. As a street cop and public information officer for the St. Landry Parish Sheriff's Office in Louisiana, Captain Clay Higgins made a series of Crime Stopper videos that catapulted him into the national spotlight. Congratulations, fellas. Your stupidity is now legendary. One way or another, you're going back to jail. Your actions require a reckoning. I'm asking you to put down your poison cup and place your trust in the justice system that serves you. But Higgins never expected to be famous himself. I'd never done anything like that before. I was completely unscripted and unrehearsed, and I did my best with it. Higgins' path to becoming a cop was a rocky one. He started his career as a businessman, and money was his biggest goal. I worked too much. I drank too much. I didn't have a real relationship with God, although I attended Mass. And I just wasn't the man that I was supposed to be. So in 1999, the mother of my children divorced me, and rightfully so. That tragedy led Higgins to make some drastic changes in his life. I left that career that I had built. I had earned 140 grand that year, if I remember correctly, and I took a job making $8 an hour as a street cop. It was like taking a vow of poverty. It worked real well, by the way. I learned what it was to pawn a cherished item to pay a bill. I knew what the, the heartbreak of a eviction notice looked like, and yet, happiness and joy came into my life and I, I began to really understand the Word of God. As a night shift cop, he found his true calling. God had placed me right at the place 
at the dispatch call where I needed to be. And I had a great empathy for the men that I would arrest because they were failed and fallen, yes, but I had been failed and fallen. They, they were subject to redemption just as I had been subject to redemption. Almost eight years later, he was asked to become the public affairs officer for the St. Landry Parish Sheriff's Office. I had no idea that those messages would resonate so well through a television camera and become, you know, a source of a great deal of attention. But it did. But it wasn't only successful in terms of worldwide recognition. The messages resonated with the criminals as well. The sheriff's office saw a consistent solve rate, almost double the national average. 22 children of God, 21 men and one woman, within hours or days of their crime or their fugitive status being featured on Crime Stoppers, they walked into the authorities, presented themselves to authorities, and turned themselves in peacefully. But the popularity came with the price. The ACLU in Louisiana took issue with this tough guy stance, prompting the sheriff telling Higgins to tone down his message. And the sheriff and I just had a principal difference on how to respond to the world's response. So I resigned, but not out of disrespect for my sheriff at all. You'll never hear me say a disparaging word about the man. Some horses just don't run with bit in their mouth. I'm one of those horses. So although I love and respect my sheriff, I must resign. And my wife and I live a humble life, man. We live in a 65-year-old, 1,000-square-foot wood frame home. For us to step away from that steady paycheck as a captain shook me up. But God had bigger plans. Thousands of American patriots messaged me, imploring me to seek federal office. I had many job offers within an hour. I probably had 20 good law enforcement job offers. But I've learned through my life to be patient and to let the Lord manifest his intentions for you on your path. Several weeks later, Higgins and his wife made their decision. It's my humble honor to stand before you tonight as a candidate for United States Congress. Higgins hopes to apply his hard-nosed approach in Washington, D.C. He's one of three Republicans running for the open congressional seat, including former Lieutenant Governor Scott Angell and former State Representative Brett Guyman. Listen, I'm an imperfect man driven by the perfect intent to serve my God, my country, and my family. And Higgins hopes his message will motivate like-minded men to follow his example. We all stand to gain by the restoration of America. I've said many times in my career, that a man's character shouldn't be measured by how he falls, it should be measured by how he stands back up. In many ways, our nation has fallen. And I do believe in my heart that my grandchildren will not measure my generation by the fact that we've allowed our nation to fall, which we have. But we will be measured by how we stand this thing back up. In Baton Rouge, Louisiana, I'm Chuck Holton for CBN News. That is such a great example of that. what you could do. Yeah. You could be that person that begins to stand up. You know, mm -hmm. we're imperfect people serving a perfect God, mm -hmm. reaching out with a perfect message of hope and forgiveness and redemption. We see all of us the same. Mm -hmm. You know, we're all the same outside of Him, right? The Lord. Then we, like Him, can make that kind of difference. This is powerful. A perfect ending as we're talking about, you know, making a difference. And I'd like to close out in prayer. And, uh, and just ask God to bless our nation 
because this is this has been an interesting time but we're just going to just turn this whole thing over to the Lord and just pray for you as well father God I just thank you for this opportunity to be able to come and just uh, talk about a biblical perspective a biblical worldview talk about what you're doing in the lives of so many different folks father God we just thank you God for a freedom that you've given us in this country God Lord we just lay down our country before you Lord God Lay it at the cross, Lord God, and entrusting in your finished work on the cross and asking you, Lord, to have your way and will in America, Lord. Your kingdom come to America. Your will be done in America, in us, Lord, as it is in heaven, Father God. And Lord, we ask you, end abortion, send revival, send a third great awakening, we pray. In Jesus' name, God bless. We want to give a special thanks to all of our sponsors and partners. Visit VFNTV.com and visit our sponsors for all of their contact information, phone numbers, web addresses, emails. Call them today. I'm your host, Greg Lancaster, and we're so glad that you've joined us. Don't forget you can join us 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Download our app and sign up for our newsletter, The Torch, at VFNTV.com. I've enjoyed our time together. God bless. That's right. We have another way how you can stay connected with VFN Radio. It's called the Torch Newsletter. Every week, the Torch Newsletter goes out. And in the newsletter, you're going to get the best of the best of VFN Radio for that week. You're also going to get all the VFN Radio highlights email directly into your inbox so whether you want to listen on your phone whether you get your emails on your tablet or whether you get it on your home pc you will have access to that week's vfn radio highlights go to vfntv.com and select newsletter sign up or text vfntv at 22828 again text vfntv at 22828 and type in your email address Sign up for the Torch Newsletter now.